Good morning. Today's scripture is the book of Romans, chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Got all my stuff here just to make sure I make it through this. All right. This sermon series is nearing its conclusion. We have two more weeks of this series called Surprised by the Gospel. Um, and so uh, 
Let me just catch you up on what exactly we've been doing. Because we've been doing something not, we haven't been trying to intentionally be sneaky, but we've just been, we've been introducing you to some of the core doctrines of salvation these last several weeks. And so let me just kind of put it bluntly what we've been doing. We've been going through what uh, the church has taught for generations, which is called the order of salvation. How does salvation actually come about? And so over the last eight weeks, we've done sermons that started with the story of the scripture. You know, what is the big picture story of the Bible? The second week was on what is the good news? What is the gospel itself? What does the Bible mean when it says gospel? And then we got into these core theological doctrines, the doctrines of election, how God knew us before the beginning of time and chose us to know him. Then we got into how God calls us And then we talked about conversion or being reborn, being born again. And then finally justification and then adoption. And then last week we talked about having union with Christ. And so there's an order there of how God works about our life to bring us to himself and to find fullness of life in him. And so we're coming to the end of this series now, these next three weeks, today, next week, and the week after bringing it to the end of what does, what does that mean now? Because most of this stuff, if you are a Christian already, most of this stuff we've talked about has already happened in your life. It's already in the past. It's a historical event that happened that maybe you can remember. And so if you are a Christian, really beginning today and into the next three weeks, that's what's still in front of us. So today we're going to be talking about the first days of the rest of your life. So Welcome. Because beginning today, God does new things in our life every single day, but it's purposeful and it has meaning to it. So three fundamental changes that come about in your life ongoing if you are a Christian today. The first thing I'm going to talk about is how your desires change, what you want in life. That changes when you've been justified, whenever you have union with Christ. What you want in life, your desires will change. Number two... Your purpose in life changes, and then we get to discover what that is. And then number three, your actual identity has been formed into something totally uncomfortable, but totally deserved for you. It's been given to you. So your desires, your purpose, and your identity, that's what we're going to talk about today. And what this means for each of us every day when we wake up as believers in Jesus, what God is doing in our lives every day the rest of your life. So number one, your desires In Christ, like we talked about last week, last week was about union with Christ, which means that you are living in Christ as a Christian, and he is living in you. What you want in life fundamentally changes. And so if you listen carefully to Romans chapter 6, which I'd I'd encourage you to have it open in Rome, if you have a Bible, open up to Romans 6. I'm going to be preaching through Galatians 5 in just a moment, kind of the second point. But Romans 6, if you have it open, it may help you to see some of what I'm talking about. But if you listen closely to what Brian read, you'll notice that the word slavery was mentioned nine times in Romans chapter 6. Slavery. I don't think anybody in the world wants to be a slave to something. That word is just not a good word. It's been obviously uh, taken on negative connotations for very like good reasons, obviously. Slavery is mentioned nine times. 
And so what is that? Why is Paul using the word slavery and what is he talking about? And so when you and I hear the word slavery today, we obviously, most of us think about the slave trade from Africa to North America from the 17th to the 19th century that we read about in our history books and that is a part of uh, legacies and lineages of families uh, and toward the embarrassment and shame of our country. It's awful, the middle passage from Africa to the Americas. But even today, did you know there's more slaves in the world today than there's ever been in the history of the world? There's modern day sex slavery, human trafficking, which is why we as a church here support the ministry of Amira, which helps bring women locally out of the local sex human trafficking um, in the local New England area. But there's all other forms of awful slavery in the world today too. And the primary one, the largest category today is forced labor. And children make up one eighth of that group. Um, There's also forced marriage and there's other types of modern day slavery as well. But people estimate there's as many as 50 million slaves today. People are being held against their will in certain spheres of the world. 50 million, that's one in every 200 people in the world. It's a lot of people. And so these are all unspeakably evil and awful. And we, of course, condemn all that type of slavery. Now, the reason I say that is because the way Paul uses slavery in Romans 6 is he uses it in a negative way, being slaves to sin, which I'll talk about in just a moment. But he also uses it really interestingly in a positive way as well. And so just before I tell you about the positive way that someone could possibly think about slavery, we have to understand what the Bible context of slavery actually is, because it is different than modern day slavery. So in Bible times, in the Roman Empire particularly, there was an institution of slavery, but particularly that word slave really could be translated and should be used more as bond servant, meaning that slaves were permitted to work for pay, so they got paid, and they were able to save enough to buy themselves out their freedom. So yes, they were slaves, they were bound to somebody, but they also received money and they could save it and then buy their way into their freedom eventually. They were entrusted with immense amounts of money and responsibility. And even in other parts of the scriptures, Paul very much encourages slaves to buy their freedom when they have the opportunity. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 21 to 24 talk about that. So it just needs to be said here, this is kind of a side point of the bigger sermon. The side point here is that the Bible does not condone slavery. You may hear people say that, like, oh, the Bible talks about slavery and it says it's fine, and so why would I ever go to a church because the Bible says slavery is okay? No, it doesn't. Not in the modern context of what we're talking about. The Bible does not condone slavery. The absolute worst kind of slavery. What the Bible does talk about is slavery as an image and a metaphor for something deeper in our life. And in Romans 6, Paul uses it as a spiritual image, a spiritual metaphor although it's an imperfect metaphor, he says. So let's talk about this spiritual slavery, because it talks about our desires, how our desires are changed. He says um, in Romans chapter 6, verses 6, verses 16, verses 17, verses 20, he says that we are slaves to sin, that we are stuck to bad things that just keep tying us back into doing bad things, things that are not for our good. That's what sin is. It's when we miss the mark of how God intended the world to be. He says we're slaves to it. We're stuck to it. 
And that's actually the absolute worst kind of slavery because it's internal, it's secret, and you're stuck to it. It's even worse than physical human slavery we mentioned earlier because it's, a, it's not only one in every 200 people in the world, it's 100% of people in the world are enslaved to sin spiritually. And I think each of us realize that pretty quickly when we look at our own lives. We realize that there's just sins that we can't get away from. It feels like we're drawn back into them. And Paul himself talks about it pretty honestly himself in Romans 7. He says, the things I want to do, I seemingly can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep doing them. And he's like, what a wretched man that I am. This is the Apostle Paul. And so if that guy acknowledges his sin, certainly you and I can recognize it as well. And we all want this to die. We want, we want the sin in our life to be crucified and to die and to go away forever. But the positive, good part that Paul brings up is that in Christ, through knowing him and acknowledging what he's done for us on the cross, in verse 18 and 19 of Romans 6, he says, we have become slaves. So we're still slaves. How could that be a good thing? He says, because you become slaves to righteousness. Think about how impossible it is to get your mind to like realize how great of a thing that is. Like, because slavery is such a bad word, you instantly think of slavery to being only to bad things all the time. But I think I kind of mentioned this beginning last week, but let's just hit it home now. The gospel offers you the best possible things to be stuck to forever. You are slaves to righteousness. Meaning that the right way to live, the right way to life, the right way to find joy and happiness and goodness and all of that, you can be stuck to. And it, you can't get out of it. And again, it's, it's hard to fathom because slavery has so much baggage with it, that word. But we are slaves to righteousness. Paul says that when we are set free from sin, we are then stuck to righteousness like being a slave to it. Righteousness is the right way to live. It's the intended way humans are to live out our days. It's the standard, the beautiful way that the creator gave us to live our life. Can you, be a, can you imagine if we woke up every day saying, I am stuck to righteousness today. I'm enslaved to it. As much as I try to run away from righteousness, that's my, that's my status now. And now, if that's really the case, that means your desires for right and good things then begin to change. That by being in Christ, and Jesus living in you, like we talked about last week, he begins to change your desires away from the sins that you used to be enslaved to and now towards right, good, beautiful things. And so Paul says in verse 19, therefore present your members of your body as slaves to righteousness. You give, it, give yourself over to that. It's okay to be a slave to that because that is beautiful. It's for our good. And we do that by having faith in Jesus, by being united to him, by finding union with Christ. Being a slave to righteousness is built off of the spiritual oneness that we have in Christ that's gifted to us by what happened on the cross at Calvary. So verse 22 says that we are literally even then slaves to God which there's a, there's a reason that Paul brings that up second and not first. Because if I were to tell you first that you're a slave to God and then you get righteousness, then it feels like some kind of manipulative relationship, doesn't it? 
but you've received righteousness as a free gift, and now you're stuck to God, too, as the perfect, loving, good father. You get the relational part, too. You're, a, you're a, even a slave to God, as it says in verse 22. And that's alongside Jesus himself. Remember, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Another way Jesus could have said that is, I and the Father are enslaved. Or I am enslaved to God the Father. I am his. Again, it's just the word. The word we get, we get caught up on here. But this is the perfect kind of slavery, if there ever would, could, could be such a thing. It's the perfect kind, because it's slaves to righteousness. And that changes your desires. And this union with Christ builds up and culminates in your purpose. So if you are stuck to righteousness and your sins are being killed day by day, they're being crucified, this comes into the second thing then, which is your purpose. Every day of your life, what is your purpose in life? 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says it this way. You know, the Bible likes to talk about, the Bible doesn't use the word purpose very often. You, like you and I in the modern world, we use the phrase, what is my purpose in life? What, I, what was I made for? The way the Bible likes to put it is they use this phrase, the will of God. What is the will of God in my life? And do you know what 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says? This is a direct quote. Again, this is just, put it out there, very clear. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. The purpose of your life, the will of God for your life is your sanctification. Now that means we really need to understand what sanctification is because that's not a word we use very much in our modern times either. So what is sanctification? It's a big word that we probably don't use anywhere else in our world. And that's why I want to bring us to Galatians 5 because Galatians 5, 16 to 26, which is printed in your bulletin, uh, this, this describes sanctification without using the word. Galatians five sixteen to 26 says this. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Sanctification, then, is the process that you and I get to go through every single day, the rest of your life, to be made more like Jesus. To be made more like who God created us to be. You know, when Jesus says in the, in the Gospels, he says, imitate me, do what I do. This is what he means. He said, the purpose of your life is to grow more and more in the character of God himself. And here's the thing. You can't do it. 
it's impossible for you to be like Jesus because you're a sinful person, like we already mentioned. You're, you're living in a, in a broken system. You have things that happen in your life that, that create situations in your life that you can't, you can't be like Jesus on your own. So you need help. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and resurrected and went to heaven, this is one of the most transformative things that the Bible says. Jesus said in John uh, 16, verse 7, Jesus said, It is for your advantage that I leave you. Because if I leave you, then I will leave my helper with you, who will be with you always. And who is his helper? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what's mentioned here in Galatians 5. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to teach us how to be more like Jesus day by day, to grow more and more into his character and to being who he is. Not ever achieving perfection, but trying so hard. Like a runner preparing for a race, just disciplining ourselves, running for the prize. And so what Galatians teaches us, <coughs> excuse me, what Galatians 5 teaches us is really three quick things. First, it teaches us the continual presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. You know, it's the bookend verses, so verses 16 and 26. It says, verse 16, if I walk by the Spirit, so walk with the Spirit day by day. And then verse 25 says, live by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Meaning that you get to walk with the presence of the living God day by day, which is the Holy Spirit with you. You get that as part of your daily life. This is the greatest gift you get in life, is the indwelling of God's spirit with you day by day that helps you to be what you can't be yourself. He helps you to kill the sin in your life and to help you choose righteousness day by day, moment by moment, decision by decision. You know, somehow it's better to not have the literal person of Jesus with you, but it's better to have the Holy Spirit within you. That's the better plan that God had. He said, you know, Jesus could have been an eternal human who just lived with us, but he knew it would be to our advantage if the Holy Spirit lived with us. And once you begin to really think about that, it makes sense. If there was one human, Jesus, that means he could only be one place at a time with one group of people in one cultural context, with one language, right? Israel, you know, living in the Middle East, speaking Aramaic and a little bit of Greek, you know, hanging out with fishermen. He can only be in that one place. But now he leaves his Holy Spirit with us and that breaks every divide. He's with us in our lives, in Salem, in our language, in our context. He knows us. He knows our hearts. He can be with us. That's to our advantage, to our huge advantage, to bring about our sanctification. And he trains us to live for the Spirit and so again, you have these classic fruits of the spirit. That's the second thing that Galatians really gives us is that there's the fruit of the spirit that then is given to believers. These nine classic things that are mentioned here, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But one thing that's important to note about this is that it says that this is the fruit of the spirit, meaning that it's one fruit. This all comes together. This isn't like, okay, I get to get this part one day and this part another day and this and this. Like, I, I need to pick it. No, it's, it all comes together as a package deal. This is what your life turns into. This is what the purpose of your life begins to flow out for. 
Like the purpose of your life is not to change the world or to give away the most money or to be the best and nicest person. Like those are all good things, but the purpose of your life is these nine things, your sanctification, becoming more and more the human that God made you to be uniquely through your life. They all come together and they benefit the world around us when your life begins to look like this. So pursuing this unified life of the spirit becomes the purpose of your life because this is how God wants you to be. Because people like this, though they're not trying to change the world, people like this do change the world. Jesus started with 12 disciples in an obscure part of the world and it changed the world through 12 people who began just through three years to become more like Jesus. And these things begin to come about naturally in your life if you're following him, if you're connected to the vine like we talked about last week. If you're the branch that's connected to the vine, you will naturally bear fruit if it's a healthy circumstance. And so that's why, you know, a lot, most Sundays, I stand up here at the beginning of church and say, you made a good decision to come here today. Not because this is like giving you a checkbox in heaven, but because this is, this is part of your ongoing sanctification. This is you choosing something really good to be part of your life. This is putting your spiritual life into rich soil to be put into a circumstance where you can grow and you can find purposeful watering for your own life and, and develop fruit. And so the last thing that Galatians teaches us, I don't know if you saw this part. Um, actually, this, this, this takes us back to Romans, Romans 6. Uh, ultimately, what's, what sanctification does, becoming more like Jesus and devoting your life to this purpose day by day, is it leads you to eternal life. So Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. So if you continue to pursue those things, Paul's like, okay, you can do that, but you'll die. Seems like a bad decision. He says, but the free gift of God, which you can accept by faith, is eternal life. He said, so if you pursue that life, you get to live forever in perfection, in a new heavens and a new earth where things are all made right again. So it carries us all the way to the end of our days and beyond. So the goal is perfection. The goal of life is perfection. The goal of of sanctification is to be the best possible person you can be, all the while realizing that you probably won't attain that. And that's okay. You probably will fall. You probably will insult somebody. You probably will sin against somebody. And that's why Galatians 5.26 says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, we're all in here together. We're all in different places in our sanctification process. Some are further along, some are brand new, some are even deciding whether you want to start that journey or not. But we get to do it together. We get to encourage one another along together until eternal life. Because the fruit you get leads to sanctification and eternal life. But there's one more thing. And this is what I'll finish with for you. And this is your pertaining to your identity. So we've talked about your desires changing, your purpose being identified. But who are you, really? You're, you're a mortal person. You're going to die. Life is a vapor. You know, we're going to look back 50 years from now, and none of us are going to be here, except for a few little ones. We're a vapor. This, this life comes and goes. So what is your identity? And to, 
to lead into that, what was the most important holiday this week on the calendar? It wasn't Halloween. You probably got that. Halloween was not the most important holiday this week. The most important holiday was the day after Halloween, which most people have forgotten about. And it's November the 1st, and it's called All Saints Day. So Halloween literally just means All Hallows Eve, which is basically the Christmas Eve to All Saints Day. And it turned into this big thing, right, about celebrating the dead and the, you know, the morbidity of the world, and eventually other things came into it. But it really was supposed to be just a build-up to November 1st, All Saints Day, which was a day to remember the faithful saints who came before us, who lived their life for Jesus and for God, who are faithful to the end, who have achieved the crown of life in heaven and are living with him now. And it's a day for us to remember their faithfulness and the path that they paved for us. So for this church, 1804 was when this church started. We have 219 years of faithful saints who have gone before us. That's a day for us to remember people like that. And I'm sure for those of you who have been part of this church, names are coming to mind now. Faithful people who have gone before us. Paved the way for you. But here's the fun thing. As part of your sanctification process, through being unified to Christ by faith, guess what you are? A saint. You are a saint in the kingdom of God today. And this is a radical difference than the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, I looked it up, and this is not to like, you know, stick it to the Catholics at all. I promise I'm not. It's just there's a difference here. The Catholic Church has a four-step process of how you become a saint. And you can look it up on their websites, and it's pretty comprehensive. But you have to have proof of a miracle. You have to have proof of all these extraordinary things that happen. And you go from you know, venerable to blessed, and then you become a saint after you die. And it's a big deal. But Protestant evangelical theology teaches that the minute you put your faith in Christ, you are righteous, and you are called a saint of God, a holy one. That's what the word means, a holy one. So sanctification is about becoming more holy day by day, day by day. But actually, in Christ... You're already made holy. You're already as holy as you can ever be because you're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus on you. So you're already a saint. And a key idea then means, the key idea of being a saint means that you're part of the priesthood of God now, which means your role is every bit as important as my role standing up here behind the pulpit. I'm not the saintly one in this building. All of us by faith in Jesus are the saints. And that's throughout the scriptures. 1 Peter 2, 9. You, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. And then Revelation 5, 9. This is at the end of time. It says there's a group of people who are singing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open the seals, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's your identity through faith in Jesus, is you're a priest in the holy priesthood of God. Which means that there's no hierarchy of greater or lesser saints. 
We're all saints in the kingdom, and you and I are all ministers of the word together in his world. And we push one another along towards the final day. So just to finish up here, um, the quote on the front of your bulletin is by a pastor named Alistair Begg. And he says, this is kind of convicting. If truth were told, most of us spend longer each day on personal cleanliness than on practical godliness. How often, how long does it take you to take a shower and brush your teeth and wash your hands each day? Do you spend more time on that than pursuing your sanctification, your purpose in life. And just to drive the point home, Billy Graham once said, if Christianity is valid, someone asked Billy Graham this question. They said, if Christianity is valid, why is there so much evil in the world? And Billy Graham responded, well, with so much soap in the world, why are there so many dirty people in the world? Christianity, like soap, must be personally applied if it is to make a difference in our lives. So that's the prayer for us. And as we approach the Lord's table, that's that's what we invite you to pray and consider, is how can you apply this to your life today? So let me pray for us, and then we'll um, serve the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, this word from your scriptures lands on each person um, softly and appropriately, and that you would do something amazing in each person's life because of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.